welcome to Can I Butt In, the Bowel Research UK podcast, where we welcome bowel cancer and bowel disease patients, researchers, healthcare professionals and carers to butt in and share their experiences. We're picking a topic every episode and getting to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Sam Alexandra-Rose. I'm the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at Bowel Research UK. And as a patient myself, I'm excited to bring more patient and researcher voices into the spotlight. This time we're taking a look at a surgery that you might not have heard about before called pelvic exenteration. And we're going to be looking at how this can affect a person's quality of life and also what research is being done around this type of surgery. So I'm joined by Sharon Aplin, who has had this surgery herself, and also Charlie West, who is a colorectal research fellow at the University of Southampton. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Thanks very much. Thanks both for coming on. So should we start with you, Sharon? Could you please tell us a bit about your story, how you're, what you were diagnosed with and, and how that sort of came about? Yeah, absolutely. In 2020, I was diagnosed with a skin cancer, which is called a squamous cell cancer. It was on the left side of my um, anus. But at the very beginning, I was informed that they thought it was... Um, a fissure tear so I was being treated for this and also maybe piles because they didn't quite know what was ap- happening within that region so I actually went to see um, a specialist at Paul Hospital who took one look at me and basically said that is not a tear there is something more going on there and they hadn't seen he hadn't seen anything like this before so he was a little, little bit concerned And then I was promptly booked in to have a biopsy taken. And the biopsy then showed that obviously this was cancer that I had. So after the biopsy and being told it was cancer, I had no symptoms of um, bleeding, diarrhea, you know, being uncomfortable to sit or anything like that which again threw them off the scent that this probably was cancer um, until the biopsy was done. So the plan then going forward actually then meant that I had to look at treatment and how they were going to treat this problem. After um, organising a plan, which they were going to give me, the plan was then that I would have five weeks of intensive therapy The therapy was chemotherapy at home by tablet form and then radiotherapy, which was done at Paul Hospital every day of the week for five weeks. This was carried on right up until um, December 2020. Then in 20, uh, it was January 2021, I was given the all clear and I was given the possibility that it could come back. It might not come back, but they would keep checking on me. I was clear for one year and then the skin cancer came back on the other side of my bottom. So not in the same place, but it had found another place to come to. And that was the other side of my bottom. So in 2022, in January, I went back to my doctor who was been looking after me at Paul Hospital The cancer was quite advanced at this point um, and 
she informed me that the surgery couldn't be done there. So I would have to go and see another consultant. I then went to, to Salisbury Hospital and saw a consultant there. Um, and unfortunately, again, after taking biopsies and, and looking at what from scans, what was there, I was sent to Southampton Hospital where I had my surgery. Um, the surgery was carried out there, uh, which took some time to get the surgeons all together. I had a 15 hour surgery and once coming around from that surgery obviously I had two stoma bags so living the life with two stoma bags and waking up knowing I was going to have them but to actually then get your head around where you are how your life's going to be the changes you're going to have to make was quite difficult very yeah. difficult very emotional very hard um to get your head round and it still is now because it's only September since I came out of hospital last year so it's still young and it's still raw really in the sense that um, everyday life is quite a challenge um, it has changed my life completely um, I can't just walk out the front door anymore and think about just going to the shop like normal people do I have to think are my bags done? Am I safe to go out today? How long it's going to take me? Take my kit with me just in case I have a hiccup. Take extra clothing with me in case there's a hiccup. So yeah, it's 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 very difficult um, from day to day. Yeah, gosh, I can Im I can't even imagine. Um, and that's such a big operation, isn't it? Fifteen hours. I mean, is that? like the, one of the longest operations a person can have I wonder I mean it sounds very difficult to to recover from it must have been very painful yeah the the um the team are very good re regarding your threshold of pain you know they're there every day how are you controlling your pain today you know is what we've given you working so you know, when you're in hospital, that's fine because you can you can um, get that pain sorted out quite quickly. When you come home, you've got to learn all over again. You know, um, having two bags when you're in hospital, you push a button and a nurse comes and changes your bag for you. When you get home, it's like, oh, husband's at work. I've got no help. I'm going to have to wait for him to come home to help me with my bag. And, you know, so you have to think you have to think outside your normal zone that you would be in every day of the week you know you, you can't just think um let's go shopping because you've got to think ahead where am I going to park because I can't walk the distance that you normally probably would walk if you're going shopping um I have to think about exactly where I'm going to be I can't just go mentally because once I get there, I go into a panic mode and think where, you know, should I, should I have looked at where I'm parking first and should I have, have, have done my sort of like survey of where I'm going for the day, um, which I do have to. Yeah, it is. It is um, and, I, and where you say, Sam, about it being one of the longest operations, that operation was actually cut down. Um, initially, I was told it could be over two days. Oh, wow. Um, but luckily enough, because of the team that was put together, which was a team of five, we started at half seven on the Friday morning. 
and from that the operation was at be was able to then continue and go through the night and they they obviously operated on me right the way through taking it in turns I suppose with the, the surgeons who could then have a rest and and come in but yeah um, I know I know from my notes and what have you my plastic surgeon was four hours of actually sewing me back up and putting the the sleeve that I had to have removed for the skin from my stomach to form the new sleeve to where my bottom used to be and where my vagina used to be that was four hours four and a half hours actually of um, sewing me back up and taking the muscle from my tummy to put in the empty empty pelvic where everything was removed from so yeah as you say it's it's one of those operations I would imagine is probably one of the longest mm. but not being medical I don't know Charlie might know better than me but um yeah I would imagine it could be one of the longest ops there is and what is actually removed for, for people who aren't familiar with uh, pelvic exenteration what what is it that they take out Okay, I can imagine um, it might be different for some people to others. I'm not quite sure on that one. But my personal um, experience that I had taken out was I had my um, bowel, my vagina, my clitoris, um, my uterus, everything that's in the pelvic was actually physically removed, including part of my pelvic bone and also my pubic bone. Um, part of that was removed because the cancer was millimetres away from that area and to make sure the disease hadn't started feeding into there part of that was also taken um, nerve ends were removed as well so that's why I have the difficulty now with walking and numbness in the tops of my legs yeah so a lot completely empty um, everything completely gone so I don't even have a belly button anymore because the skin they use to sew you back up is taken from that area. Oh, so, so it's just flat? Yes. Right. So I have oh. a tummy. Yes, <laughs> there is no belly button. <laughs> yeah, so um, there is, there is a, you have to have a lighter side of this, this surgery. I learned to laugh a lot and make funny comments about, you know, how I was now. Um, I used to say I'm not a female anymore, but I'm a Barbie doll because <laughs> I don't have any of the bits a lady has anymore, but I do have a Barbie. <laughs> yeah, I think having a, a sense of humour around cancer is really important. It certainly helped, helped me to get through my experiences as well. So should I bring Charlie in at this point then? Because you're doing some research into pelvic exenteration, could you give us an overview of what you're researching? Yeah, so I think as Sharon's already said, these these are really long operations. Uh, 15 hours is a really, really long operation, and they can take longer than that sometimes, uh, and sometimes shorter. And as, as Sharon has said, there's a huge amount of, uh, to control a you know, really difficult cancer, you might need to remove a lot of organs in the pelvis and bits of the pelvic bone and, and skin. And what I think what's really important is is that reconstruction aspect. So how you put the body back together again after the surgery um, to get people back to as good a quality of life as, as they can get. Because it's huge. I mean, it's life-changing surgery. I don't think anyone really comes through this operation exactly the same as they were, you know, before it. 
and it, it takes a, a, a long time to get used to. And um, I'm interested in looking at the reconstruction aspects and how that can reduce complications and try and get the best quality of life uh, for patients after their surgery. I suppose it must be something quite difficult to research if people are having the operation for various different reasons and different types and locations of cancer and then being reconstructed in in different ways. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of variables to contend with. Yeah, it is difficult and it's difficult to that it is very difficult. And it means that there's quite a lot of variation in what 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 surgeons do in terms of reconstruction. And you're absolutely right. These pelvic accentuation might be done for tumours arising from the skin, like Sharon's had, or from the rectum, the bowel, or maybe the bladder or the reproductive organs, or even um, sometimes the connective tissues or the bone as well. And those are all different types of cancer, and it might be done for disease that's already been treated with an operation but has come back again, um, or it might be done for disease that is quite advanced when it's first diagnosed. And you're absolutely right, there's a it's a it's a difficult group to research because because each patient almost has a an individual operation um, designed to specifically for them it's and it means that again the reconstruction that needs to happen might again have to be specific for that for that individual patient something that seems like it might be quite common between different patients is this empty pelvis syndrome that you're looking at could you tell us a bit about that yeah, so it's 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 not a very well defined problem, but um, we think that patients that are having this this big surgery where they have lots of their pelvic organs removed, um, they're left with a a large space at the bottom of their body where where all these organs were in in the pelvis, and um, often as Sharon mentioned as well, patients have radiotherapy before their surgery or during their surgery, and that can also damage the pelvis and it can lead to problems with ongoing infections in that area, or it can damage the intestine in that area. Um, so if, if, if you want to look at reconstruction and improve, uh, you know, and try and get the best outcomes for patients, um, trying to address this problem, the empty pelvis syndrome, um, is an important part of that. And that's, that's the real focus of, of what I'm looking into. How's the research going so far? So it's going, it's going really well, actually. So the first part of this is to try and agree a way to, to measure the, the impact that the empty pelvis syndrome has on patients. At the moment, there's not really an agreed way of, um, of saying this is how bad someone's empty pelvis syndrome problem is. So that, that's been the real focus to begin with. So I've been using something called consensus methodology, which is uh, where you get people to try and agree on a problem that is difficult to um, to define and to research and if you can get people to agree then you can start to produce better quality research and try and find the best techniques to help patients more quickly um, whereas if at the moment people are reporting research in this problem in in different ways um, so when you try and put research together from different um, hospitals it's quite difficult to to compare that research to find out exactly which which technique is better so the the first part of my um my PhD has been trying to get an agreement on the empty pelvis syndrome and we've been doing something called a, a Delphi study which we've just finished in the last couple of weeks actually. So what are the next steps then or what do you hope that will come out of this research? So, so an important part of the methodology is going about it in a way where 
you get lots of people's opinions, lots of people agree. And um, we've, we've been lucky in that I've managed to engage with a group called the Pelvex Collaborative, and that's a international group of um, hospitals that, that do this kind of complex surgery from all around the world. And we've, we've had um, healthcare professionals contributing their opinions from, from uh, many different countries, which, is, which has been really great. Um, but we're very conscious that um, all these world experts in surgery, they're not experts in actually suffering the consequences of complications after the anti-pelvis syndrome. And um, people like Sharon and uh, that have had this surgery have, have been really important in getting involved with this because we've also, in terms of the study, we've, we've treated the patient, patient's opinions on this problem just as much as we've um, we've given them those the patient opinions just as much importance as we have to the healthcare professionals. Um, so we've we've got patients to to vote on statements, and we've had meetings with them online. Um, so what we've what we hope we've produced is something that is meaningful for patients and surgeons together. Um, so that I think I think that gives a more more powerful and more meaningful research going forward. Absolutely, definitely really important to to get patients involved in in research I think yeah. especially when it is going to affect people in in lots of different ways and Sharon you've been involved in in this research haven't you in, in yes. helping with this yes I have it's been quite interesting actually to see what people find more important than others you know one person might find one issue very important that I found uh, they gave it a nine say and I gave it a seven and it, it was quite interesting to look at it overall to see you know it's a, it's probably like in the morning you get up and say I like tea and toast and you say oh I couldn't eat tea and toast <laughs> it's, it's um, seeing what actual people think is most important in life you know which way around they look at different aspects of the surgery so yeah it's been really interesting um, helping Charlie um and hopefully we can we can carry on doing something like this together yeah. because um mentally it helps me as well to talk about what's happened but it also helps to listen to other people's inputs as well yeah we had we had some meetings online didn't we with um patients from across the uk and it was it was really nice to even though none of you had obviously met before you you'd all been through something very similar and had problems and it was really nice to see the well, just to see the support almost that you could that you were getting in the meeting and realizing that you're not alone and and having these problems. Yeah, because one of the one of the problems that Charlie's just mentioned is in, is um, infection, um, which I've had a couple of times now, um, which obviously comes from the fluid buildup in the en empty pelvic area. Uh, so after that happened back in March, um, my new skin has actually opened to a very tiny hole. And I now drain from that hole the fluid that builds up in that empty area. And that is continuing to drain all the time. It, some days it's more than others. But I've just had my CT scans, MRI and PEP scan yesterday. So I'm hoping the results next week when they look at them at Southampton Hospital at their meeting will show hopefully the infection has either subsided or is not as bad as it was but that's only an infection caused by the fluid being in that empty area. And so how did you come to get involved in being in this this research then Sharon just for people who might be listening and think oh I'd quite like to be involved in research as well? Yeah I was in bed one day and this nice young lad came and saw me and said hello I'm Charlie West. <laughs> 
he said um I would like to ask you a question and he explained what he wanted to ask me and um at the end of our our chat he asked if I would be interested in doing this and I said yes I would and obviously I signed a consent form to say that um I would do these these things for him um but also the same thing happened when they came and asked me if I would donate my organs before surgery um, and my bone to cancer research which also happened to me through Charlie's um, side of the research so yeah so I signed two pieces of paper one was to help Charlie with the empty syndrome and the other one was for them to take my stuff away that they took from me to look into the research even more of what was going on Did you have any reservations about saying yes to any of that or was it an easy decision for you? No, it was an easy decision because at that time you think your life is like changed completely and you can't do anything anymore. You you know, you're you're not a person anymore. Do you know what I mean? And to be able to for somebody to come and say, would you like to help? You think, oh, I am important still. Somebody still wants to, to involve me in something. So, yeah, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it's it's a mental thing, but it's it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not just being seen as as a patient, but somebody who's who's very active and that yeah, absolutely, helps with yeah. identity, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. It's um it just makes you feel like um you're not at the end of, of a very horrible thing that's happened to you. You're actually seeing it and carrying it out the other side. Yeah, and I think you become I think if you get involved in research um, a lot, you almost become a part of the a part of the research team, really. Um, and I think that is really, I mean, it must be, it's nice to meet with, I've met with you quite a few times now, haven't I, either over the telephone or face-to-face or on meetings. And it's nice to, and I, you know, I'm going to see you like one of the research team, which is, and, and, and you are really, and having that influence on the research, both, you know, with the recovery aspect, but also um, the more, um looking at the tumor under a microscope and trying to understand why these things develop and uh, you know testing various treatments on it you, you know who knows where your your actual tumor is now it's probably in some some lab somewhere but someone i'm sure is trying to get as much information out of it to to help future people and you know that wouldn't be possible without without your help yeah i think that side of it is 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 one that you don't get to see which would in one day maybe somebody will come back to me and say this is your paper from what we got from you you know yeah, you don't yeah. you know what will happen and that would be quite interesting to actually say or somebody to say to me you know this is what we found this is what we've we've seen but um yeah charlie's right we've we've all become really good friends and um even my team at southampton um are all in first name terms I don't call them doctor this or professor this you know they are first name terms and even the nurses when I go back now um if I don't go to the ward and go and see them all cool dear Mm -hmm. I I haven't heard the last of it so yeah it's 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 amazing amazing people well that's wonderful to hear and a great endorsement for patient and public involvement I think and just goes to show as well that there's multiple different ways that you can get involved in research I think that sometimes when people hear the word research they they think about scientists in lab coats in in the lab looking at things under microscopes and that might seem quite inaccessible to people but actually there's as you've demonstrated these different ways to get involved in research as well yeah absolutely there's um 
you know there's there's lots out there you know i just i'm i'm now working to um do some bits with planet which is one of the um cancer research uh, not research sorry the cancer team that do charity work um with southampton hospital so you know that i'm now going to be doing some bits with them as for their like their stoma people that they have at meetings and maybe do a small talk on actually what i'm talking about with you today uh so yeah it's there's you know and i've met you sam now as well over the the last five six months there's charlie there's you and there's planet so you know even though you have this horrendous surgery there's just so much more out there after surgery Mm. absolutely well, one of the other things I was going to ask you, Sharon, was if there is anything else that you think that people should be researching about pelvic exenteration. Is there are there any other issues that you think aren't being being covered that you'd like somebody to to look into? Um, as a as a professional side, I can't comment on that because obviously not being medically minded myself, but as a patient. Um, there is one thing that I am hopefully going to be working with Planet to, to do, um, and maybe Charlie as well, if he if we could do something like this, mm. is to write something for patients before the operation so that they know what to expect from a patient's point of view and not hearing all of the words that a doctor gives you, mm. that mm. I came away thinking, what did he mean by that? Or put it in layman terms I think and also after surgery um, meeting other people that I did in March when I went back in with this this um, leakage that I had the girl in the bed next to me who's become a dear friend to me now Claire she is so lovely but she was so confused with what she could do what she couldn't do what she could eat what she couldn't eat and the two of us sat there and spoke for hours and we still do now on whatsapp Um, And that's another thing I'd like to do is perhaps do a small pamphlet for people to take away with having just, you know, not medically, just from a patient's point of view of this is what you can expect. Don't lose faith. And, you know, them sort of things, a bit of a reassurance to make people feel a bit more confident about going home, because when I got home, I thought I've got nothing to read. I've got nobody to talk to. I didn't know anybody. Um, that I could ask questions about. And I think if if they could issue that pamphlet for somebody to take home, I think that would be a really good thing that's come out of what my experience would be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be that would be brilliant. That sounds like something that would be incredibly useful to people. I mean, I'm guessing that you you hadn't heard of pelvic accentuation before you'd had it. No, I don't. I hadn't even heard. Of, well, I had heard of my my cancer before because, unfortunately, my brother-in-law had exactly the same cancer. He had it of the throat. Um, so I had heard of that. But yeah, absolutely. The, the, to be told what I had got and where it was and what it was going to be called once it was done was like, well, I've never, never heard of this before. Mm. Um, yeah, it was all very, very new to me. So... I think I have just one final question for both of you, which would be what one takeaway would you like people to know about the experiences of people who've had pelvic exenteration or, or for Charlie, one thing that you'd like to know 
you'd like people to know about the research? I think uh, I think the main thing that I, 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 before starting my PhD, I hadn't spent a huge amount of time doing clinical research, and I was really interested in doing what I'm doing because I, I do get to spend more time with with patients. So I know the lab lab based research is really critical as well, but um, that was the appeal for me. And it's it's been amazing to meet people like Sharon, you know, who and I'm in, in awe of people like her. They've she's undergone this huge operation. And she's had some complications and yet still she's wanting to help us um you know help patients locally through through her work with with planets but also she's engaged with this um, process that i'm involved in where we're, we're trying to get agreement with surgeons and patients across the world and and yet she's recovering from this massive operation at the same time and you know it motivates me to to continue work doing what i'm doing really what about you sharon what do you what one takeaway would you want people to have? To not give up faith. Believe that you can get out at the end of the, the horrible times. Because as much as it's easy for somebody to sit there and say, well, you'll be fine in a couple of weeks' time, you're not. But you will get there. And, every, and just take every day as it comes and conquer that day and then conquer the next day. Don't try and run before you can walk and just keep your team together that look after you because without them um I wouldn't be where I am today um amazing bunch of people but don't ever be frightened to ask I was always frightened to ask at the beginning and I kept quiet but I learned over time open your mouth and ask the question and somebody will be there to answer it or somebody will be there to help you and if they don't know they'll find somebody that can help you Brilliant words of wisdom to end on there. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Sam, for your time. And thank you, Charlie. Thank you both. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Can I Button? This podcast was brought to you by Bow Research UK. Find out more about the charity, our work and how you can get involved. Visit bowelresearchuk.org where you can join our People and Research Together network or part. Read about our research campaigns and fundraising or make a donation to support the vital work we do. Let's end bowel cancer and bowel disease.